Yo, before we uh, kick off this episode, I want to send a a shout out to our Breaks Media family. For those of you who don't know, A Few Screws Lose the Podcast, we are a part of the Breaks Media Network. Some of the dopest content out there is curated content that all revolves around the culture. Some of my favorite podcasts, and I'm not saying this because I'm biased, are on the Breaks Media Network. So uh, like the Awakened Soul, uh, shout out to Hayes over there. He does his thing. That's like one of my top, top favorite podcasts. Love, Lust and Badass Soul. If you're into like, you know, talk about sexual, sexual content, sexual topics, uh, oversaturated the podcast. Shout to Johnny and Ralph. Um, there's just so many uh, socially unacceptable. There's so many dope podcasts over there. So if you like A Few Screws Loose, the podcast, I'm pretty sure you'll love some of the podcasts over at the Breaks Media Network. Shout out to Breaks Media Network and everybody over there. Days of my youth is a huge cruise cruise podcast. Hey. I got a huge cruise cruise, and I'm telling you the truth. It's a huge cruise cruise podcast. Hey. I got a huge cruise cruise, you don't really want proof. It's a huge cruise cruise podcast. Hey. I got a huge cruise cruise, why do what I do? It's a huge cruise cruise podcast. Welcome to another episode of A Few Screws Loose, the podcast where we have discussions about mental health and mental illness by the mentally ill. My name is Dan and you can catch me on IG and on Twitter at I am Dan on drugs. And I am P from Charlotte. You can catch me on Instagram and on Twitter at Screws Loose Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to thank you for joining us for another episode. Last episode, we discussed things like sexual abuse, how they affected people, uh, especially um, their mental health. We reluctantly discussed the R. Kelly situation, which, you know, because of the document documentary had aired. We discussed the underreporting or how sexual crimes go underreported, especially in minority communities. And that that about some sums it up. It wasn't a very fun episode, but it was a conversation that was relevant and it needs to be had uh, not only by us, but by everyone. This week, we're going to shift the focus back to us and our problems as far as our mental health goes. P and I both are very hyper vigilant and for those of you who may not know what that means, P, would you like to explain what hypervigilance is? Sure. A simple way to put it is a state of being on high alert. Uh, you know, pretty much to break the word down, <laughs> the psychological term for being in a high state alert is hypervigilance. Hyper meaning increased, uh, while vigilance speaks to your level of sensory perceptions, meaning anything going on around you, anything that you can perceive as possibly going on around you constitutes uh what it takes to be a hypervigilant person. So we're going to get into a little deeper about hypervigilance, the symptoms, uh, who is more prone to suffering from hypervigilance and, uh, 
you know, it's going to be an interesting conversation. I hope some people can either learn something about this or can feel a little comfort if they struggle with this to know that they're not the only ones. Man, I can almost guarantee that everyone who grew up as we did, um, you who who was it that said it? Maybe Scarface or Ice Cube. Um, every every what the world is a ghetto or every ghetto is the same or some shit like that. All low income, poverty stricken urban areas are the same. They're they're very subtle differences depending where you live, Midwest, East Coast, West Coast, the South. But they they're really all the same. If you can survive in one, you can survive in another. Um the reason I bring that up is going back to my guarantee, I can almost guarantee that damn near everyone who grew up in low poverty black neighborhoods, no Maybe even maybe even trailer parks, too. So anyone who grew up in poverty in bad neighborhoods can safely say they're probably more likely than not hyper vigilant. Uh, what do you think? P? You think that's fair to say? Because I'm guaranteeing that shit now. I agree. Uh, it is a proven fact that uh, in poor neighborhoods, in crime written neighborhoods, in a city, uh, that there are in higher instances of PTSD among citizens who live in these areas because, frankly, a lot of traumatic things happen in these areas. And when you are when you do have PTSD, uh, one of the major symptoms of PTSD, especially when getting diagnosed, is hypervigilance. Are you a hypervigilant person? Uh, you know, I was in the fire department, so that's where my PTSD stemmed from. Uh, but it's not just limited to fire department, public safety, EMTs, uh, police officers and military. I mean, it's anyone that's a victim, uh, a rape victim, an assault victim. Uh, you were a, a, a victim of a natural disaster. You know, we have people down in New Orleans and Mississippi with Katrina or in California with earthquakes. You know, so it, it, it is a lot of different uh, types of people from all walks of life who can suffer various forms of PTSD. And as a result of that, they become hypervigilant to their particular circumstance or experience or even beyond that. Right. And funny you say that. Uh, I've been in New Orleans for Katrina. Well, we left like the day before. But, um, man, I, I remember seeing so many people just completely devastated by Hurricane Katrina. And... We we just don't have the mental health infrastructure pre-Katrina. We didn't have it, and we damn sure didn't have it after Katrina. But another thing about um, disasters or whatever, picture, I think this was 2017, sitting in my office, bad bad thunderstorm. Next thing you know, uh, one of my coworkers comes running through the office screaming, everyone get under their desk, everyone get under their desk. And I'm like, nigga, I don't get under desks. I, I don't know what the issue is, but I don't get under desks because I don't think that solves anything. But, um, you know, honestly, our uh, tornado was coming towards our office and the tornado actually hit our office building. Man, I remember this is what happened. A group of people jumped up at once. And because the tornado was coming from the front of the building, which was glass windows and what have you. Everyone said, run to the back. The people who didn't crawl under desk, run to the back. So 
I'm just watching. I'm sitting back and I'm watching everyone. And I I've, I kind of found this term earlier today, P, um, as I texted you. What's it called? The thousand um, the thousand yard stare. So I'm just sitting there and I'm looking and I'm watching everyone panic. Mind you, I have an anxiety disorder and my symptoms are well, my primary symptoms are panic. I didn't panic. I'm just sitting here watching and that it, it was it was like the weirdest fucking thing ever because thinking about it, it makes me it makes me anxious. It makes me scared. But when it's actually happening, I looked around. I saw people crawling under their desk. Now, this is again, I, I kind of want to paint a picture. It, it, a tornado only lasts a few seconds. But I saw people run to the back. Then the people in the back realized there was they were in a warehouse with shelves and shit stocked up to the roof with all kinds of printers, um, all kinds of supplies, boxes, uh, whatever you can imagine being in a warehouse. So one guy yells out, it's not smart to be back here. These shelves are these shelves are going to fall or something. So they come running back. And by this time, I just stood up and I have all of this on surveillance. And what's funny is I might actually even post this video. I, I'll have to talk to uh, Ann, my co-host and attorney over at Black Law and Legalize to see if I'd be allowed to post this because I saved the surveillance. But um, I got up and I just kind of casually strolled to a corner. Then I looked at my desk. I realized I didn't have my phone. I said, well, shit, in case I need to call Becky or 911 or something, let me grab my phone. And then I go stand in the corner and everyone is panicking and running and like doing all kinds of weird shit. So a tornado hits the building, peels back a piece of the roof, knock the AC unit that's on the roof. Um, like just knock that shit halfway down the block. Uh, a few ceiling ceiling tiles fell and that was it. And it, it like the whole building was just shaking and it, it felt like being in a, a locomotive engine. That's what it sounded like and felt like. So it lasted a few seconds and you can feel the pressure drop. Now, that's the weirdest feeling. Uh, Like if you've ever been on a roller coaster where you, you know, you're going up the hill and then all of a sudden that shit drops and you're like at zero gravity. That's almost what the pressure difference felt like when the tornado hit the building. So anyway, to kind of I know I'm rambling here, but to kind of wrap it up ever since that day whenever there's a bad thunderstorm or whenever it's like unusually or ear it's eerily dark outside i'm in a high state of alertness i'm hyper vigilant i i like tornadoes freak me the fuck out because there's no warning it's not like a, a hurricane or it's not like a blizzard there's just no warning whatsoever so whenever it storms now and the sky is dark, I'm always looking outside like, man, I hope it ain't no tornadoes, man. Hold up. That cloud, that cloud look like a tornado, man. I hope this ain't no tornado, man. I need to be somewhere safe, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, P, tossing it to you. Nigga, have you ever been in a tornado? <laughs> <laughs> I responded to a couple of tornadoes in my day, uh, in the fire department. I, I saw the damage that can happen and, uh, I feel for those people who are in that 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 thing's way, but my uh, situations are not as much weather related as they are, you know, witnessing 
traumatic events, being a part of traumatic events and catastrophes and and responding to on these calls, these traumatic events, which uh, makes me hypervigilant, just living, just driving down the street. You know, one thing that makes me automatically tense and hypervigilant is motorcyclists. I ran quite a few calls in the fire department of motorcyclists wrecking, you know, and it's a uh, it's an ugly sight. I, <laughs> the helmet saves lives, but at the same time, the helmet is not going to save your life if you're going 200 miles an hour and hit a street sign and get your body chopped in half. <laughs> and not. one half of you is in the northbound lane and one half of you is in the southbound lane. And that's pretty much how it is, man. So when I see these people in these motorcycles weaving in and out of traffic, popping wheelies, just being reckless, I instantly get tense. Uh, I get sort of the big eye and I, I get hyper focused on that bike. And it kind of can make me not as alert to my own driving as I should be because I'm so worried about what's going to happen to this motorcyclist. Am I going to see him fly off the road and get chopped in two or three pieces and, and you know that it's that's just one of many and i'm sure i'll get into a lot more of these things before the end of this show and dan i don't i can't make promises dan but i think i'm going to bring up brains again today <laughs> man so anyway let's let's move into some of the symptoms of um of being hypervigilant really uh i'm looking at right here there are behavioral symptoms and then there are emotional symptoms so the behavioral symptoms include uh jumpy reflexes and fast knee-jerk reactions to your environment if you're hypervigilant, you may overreact if you hear say a loud sound or a loud bang or even if you misunderstand or misinterpret a friend or co-worker's statement something they say as rude these reactions may be violent or hostile in a perceived attempt to defend yourself. Uh, emotional symptoms. The emotional symptoms of hypervigilance can be pretty severe. They can include things like increased or severe anxiety, fear, panic, worrying, That's and, and it's a persistent worry. You can fear... Judgment from others. You may even judge others extremely harshly, which I myself, I'm guilty of, of both. Um, and this could develop into a, what's called black and white thinking in which you find things either absolutely right or absolutely wrong. You can be emotionally withdrawn. You could become emotionally withdrawn. You can experience mood swings or out burst of emotions um some of the mental symptoms they they include things like uh paranoia for instance not to be confused with schizophrenia although uh correct me if i'm wrong p i think uh schizophrenia and hypervigilance also kind of go hand in hand i can i can imagine they do i, I don't have the actual facts in front of me regarding schizophrenia and hypervigilance but um Maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but I guess it's, it can kind of be summed up as uh, all paranoia isn't schizophrenia, but all schizophrenia is paranoia. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not a schizophrenia oh, oh, expert, but... Is that a meme? <laughs> I just made that up just now, but it, it can be. <laughs> Make that join a meme with a picture of Chris Tucker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think a characteristic of schizophrenia is paranoia. You're worried about 
things that you may or you know you may be hallucinating about or things that aren't exactly what you interpret them to be so i mean yeah i can imagine that paranoia i mean i don't know if they still call it this but we all have heard the term paranoid schizophrenic so uh i could imagine that that's a major part of that disorder yeah damn i forgot about that yeah paranoid schizophrenic um some of the long-term symptoms if you experience uh, reoccurring hypervigilance, you can start to develop behaviors to calm your anxiety or to counteract uh, perceived threats. If you fear, say, assault or danger, for example, you may start carrying a concealed weapon. If you have severe social anxiety, you may rely on daydreaming or even non-participation in events. These symptoms can result in social isolation and damaged relationships. So, uh, well, real quick, (laughs) we brought up Ricky Williams last our last episode, and I'm going to bring him up again. When you when you just mentioned social anxiety, a lot of people used to ridicule Ricky Williams when he first came into the league because he would do his interviews with the press with his football helmet on. And they was like, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he doing this It's weird? And of course, it didn't look normal. It looked strange. But watching the documentary, I think it was Run, Ricky, Run. That was a really good documentary. If you haven't seen it, he stated that he has severe social anxiety disorder. And at that time in his life, he really, really struggled with it. So he only felt comfortable talking to the press, you know, for new for press conferences while still wearing his football helmet. Yep. He had that black visor, I remember. And there was another incident here in New Orleans where Ricky, he had a... um. I think it was a Porsche. It was a convertible Porsche. He was at a at a intersection at a red light top down. Everyone saw it was Ricky Williams. So, of course, people started running up, uh, trying to snap pictures of him and do, you know, get autographs, touch him. Rather than driving off, Ricky jumps out of his car at the at the intersection and takes off running on foot. And people was like. Damn, Ricky Williams just started running. What the fuck is wrong with him? That like, shit was run, on the Ricky, news. Run. Yeah. Man, I think uh, Cuba Gooden Jr. was chasing him. was like, Ricky! <laughs> <laughs> is it a video of this? Yeah. Some boys in the hood. Oh, I, we had, no. <laughs> I don't think that's the same Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but it, it was a news report. There might be clips of, of it, but it, it, it was really strange. Like from from all the eyewitness accounts, all the people that were there, they were like, if he didn't want to be bothered, he could have drove off. But instead, Ricky jumped out and started running. And in his defense, when when you suffer from anxiety, panic disorders or any kind of uh, disorders where you want to escape the situation you're in, sometimes you don't necessarily think it all the way through. You don't think your plan of escape through. You just go. You you you're gone. And I Did think he that's never come happened. back to his car. I, I don't know. I, I don't think that that's I'm sure at some point he got his car. I don't know if he sent someone or whatever. But yeah, man, Ricky Williams was, you know, he he had a lot of problems, man. Whole lot of problems. Anyway, some of to, to get back again to hypervigilance here. Uh, so we talked about the mental symptoms, some of the emotional and behavioral uh, symptoms. There's also physical symptoms. Um, Physical symptoms basically resemble those of anxiety, 
which may include sweating, a fast heart rate, fast, shallow breathing, um, just just overall panic. It can induce panic attacks. And over time, this constant state of alertness, it causes fatigue and exhaustion. So there's behavioral symptoms, which we did talk about. Um, Now, some of the causes of hypervigilance, as P said, uh, PTSD, schizophrenia, it it is on the list. Um, Schizophrenia can cause hypervigilance. Hypervigilance can worsen other symptoms of the condition, such as paranoia or hallucinations. Okay, so here are some of the common triggers. Feeling trapped or claustrophobic. Um, Feeling abandoned. Hearing loud noises, especially if they're sudden or emotionally charged, which can include yelling, arguments, and sudden bangs. Anticipating pain, fear, or judgment. Feeling judged or unwelcome. Feeling physical pain. Feeling emotional distress. Being reminded of past traumas, being around random chaotic behaviors of other people. So, you know, those are just some of the triggers. P, can you think of like I'm reading this shit, but can you think of any triggers off the top? Me personally, I stated a minute ago about motorcyclists on the road. Uh, Other things that get to me are uh, certain smells, especially if I smell smoke or electrical smoke and I can't find the source. And then I think the roof is uh, the attic is on fire and I can't get to the source and I'm up worrying about it and making sure nothing's in the house on fire. Uh, you know, uh, sounds like, like Dan alluded to, especially the sound of sirens and sudden loud noises. That really is a, a big thing for me. Fireworks, uh, gunshots, noises like that. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it it's, uh, it can vary based on your experience and, you know, another thing that kind of gets to me is I have this really, really weird thing about people staring at me. I brought this up before. Me and Dan come from an area we've talked about, D.C. area, Alexandria, Virginia is where we're from, uh, where you had to know how to fight. In our era, you had to know how to fight and you had to be ready at a moment's notice. And people got killed when we were young, a lot more than they get killed now. I know everyone thinks the world is so dangerous now. It was a lot more dangerous when we were coming up. So people staring at me always get gives me into that uh fight response where I feel as though something's getting ready to happen. And um I can't stand it. It sets me off and it automatically has me paranoid looking over my shoulder, making up plans, escape plans. And um I say escape plans and it brings me to to uh something else, crowds. Being trained so heavily in a fire department, you're trained about terrorist attacks, you're trained about uh, you know, mass casualty situations. Uh, people that have a uh, potential to have a uh, an emergency, anything like that. So every week in mass, I'm always, always in the back looking at the whole, you know, church. I'm a usher, so I'm always standing up. Uh, I have a plan for what's going to happen if someone shoots it up or if something happens. And funny, Dan, we, we had a scare last week at the church. One of the altar boys came up to me and said that he saw a guy in the church with a gun. <laughs> so. Damn. I immediately got a heightened sense of uh, agitation and I walked up and down the pews about seven times trying not to alarm anyone. But everyone obviously was alarmed because they asked me after mass was, hey, what what, what was wrong? Uh, thankfully, the little boy was, uh, you know, just uh, mistaken. Apparently, um, you know, he was probably on a higher state of alert because we had the March for Life for the abortion stuff. And that's always a, a, a big time thing for the church. 
And let's face it, you know, the heightened risk of terrorism is up. So that had me on high alert. And, you know, it, it, it took a while to go away. So depending on your experience, your your potential triggers can vary a lot. And um, one more thing I'm going to tell you, Dan, is heights, balconies in particular. I almost fell off of like a 20 something story balcony in the fire department. My coworker saw me and grabbed me by my air pack and pulled me back. And uh, to this day, I do not like going on balconies and touching the rails. Damn. What'd you have an air pack for? It was a fire. It was a fire in a high rise. And we were finally finished with it. And I was going on the balcony to get some air and take my mask off. And I leaned on the rail and the screw was missing and it gave way. And my coworker just happened to be standing there and he grabbed me and uh, he saved my life and didn't even really realize it. He thought I just tripped up. But no, if he wouldn't have grabbed me, I would have gone all the way down to the ground. Would it be safe to say there were a few screws loose? <laughs> there were a few screws loose. <laughs> Let's do this. Since, since we're actually still on the topic of, um, you know, fucked up things that have happened to us. Uh, you know, I, I said at the top of the show about a year and a half ago, a tornado hit. Luckily, it was a F zero, but it still hit my office building. Um, P just discussed how he almost fell off a balcony after, um, running a fire call. Here's, here's one for you, P. Um, I used to work at Domino's pizza in Crystal City and anyone who's familiar with the DC area, I'm pretty sure they're familiar with Crystal City. A lot of high rises, a lot of, um, hotels. They're, they're all pretty tall buildings. So I went to deliver a pizza and it was like on the 20th floor of one of these buildings. Get on the elevator. I hit floor 20. Get up to about floor 16 or 17. Next thing you know, I'm expecting to hear the ding. You know, as you go to each floor, you go ding, ding, ding. The whole fucking elevator just goes whoosh and drops. Man, I don't even know how to describe that feeling, but... Again, I guess I can use the roller coaster going to the top of the roller coaster and going down feeling because I fell for about three floors because I think it was, I was going on floor 17 when the elevator caught and the doors open. I got off on the 13th floor, so I fell at least three or four floors. Man, I got out of the elevator. I put my fucking pizza bag on the floor and I just sat there for a minute. I sat in the middle of the fucking hallway Heart beating fast as shit, sweating like I just ran a couple of miles. That shit was terrifying. Since that day, anyone who knows me will tell you that I only get on elevators if I absolutely 100% have to. But one of the things I'll try to find out is if it's a hydraulic elevator or if it's a cable. Because I can tell you that answer. Okay, tell me. In any building six floors and below is a hydraulic elevator and any building above six floors is a is a cable elevator. Apparently, that cable elevators uh, safety mechanism worked in your situation. Um, elevators typically don't drop mm -hmm. more than a couple floors if they malfunction because they have safety mechanisms that, that, that catch it. So uh, the good thing is you you, you uh, that elevator was working. Sounds funny to say it was working properly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I took the fast way down, I guess, <laughs> man. But that, that shit was terrifying. So what I eventually did was after I kind of collected myself, I found I found the stairwell. 
and I walked up to the 20th floor. I did deliver the pizza and then I walked down 20 floors and I can probably count on both hands. This was back in the year 2000. I can probably count on both hands how many times I've been on elevators since then. It's 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 uh, it's one of those. What's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it was a traumatic experience. And it's definitely something that much like the tornadoes, when I see black skies and high winds outside, my mind just goes straight to this is what's going to happen. Worst case scenario. And again, that can be classified as hypervigilance. I walk into a building, man, this building got elevators. Fuck this shit. Where the stairs at? Hey, I'll give you something to make you feel better. The only elevator fall Due to the cables failing and the safety mechanisms not working and the brakes not working. In the hospital. Happened in 1940. uh, And that was the only time an elevator ever fell uh, all the way down. It was in 1940 because a a plane crashed into the uh, Empire State Building. So you you can rest a little easier if if you must be on an elevator. Well, here's one for you. Um, uh, it, It was either, I think it was University Medical Center or University Hospital here in New Orleans. Guy was going up um, on the elevator to go visit someone. Elevator fell to the bottom and killed the dude. That was about 10, 15 years. Not even probably about 10 years ago. Which floor was he on? I, I, I don't know. The hospital was probably seven or eight floors. I don't know what floor he was on, but the elevator did hit the bottom and kill his ass. So I would like to re my rebuttal is it's happened since 1940. I will say, uh, I don't know if that was the exact way that went down, um, but there have been times. I'll tell you of a time in Alexandria when there was we, we would run elevator emergencies at least two to three times a day. Um, there was a they typically get stuck between floors and we always tell people don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move. Well, uh, in one case, I wasn't on this call. Alexandria ran this call. The woman did not listen and she moved while she was about to get rescued and she fell down the shaft and was killed. So, you know, it, here's a the the safety patrol uh, lesson of the day. If you have an elevator emergency and fire departments telling you don't move, don't move. Damn, man. He, here's the actual article from our local newspaper. Um, It was in 2012. Jeffrey, I can't say his last name. He was 44 years old from Kenner, Louisiana. He was killed Tuesday evening back then. When an elevator he and a co-worker were servicing fell at the car cargo industrial plant in Nine Mile Point. Oh, see, there you go. They were servicing the elevator. So that means it was already malfunctioned as opposed to a, an elevator falling while someone's in it, just using it, operating normally. Man, this this ain't the damn. um, Yeah, damn, this ain't this ain't the damn story that I remember. But. Damn, there's a lot of elevator. I'm I'm looking here now. Just um, Jesus Christ. There's a lot more elevator deaths than I thought were the case. So there was another one where, as P just said, the elevator, I guess, got stuck and it was halfway between floors. The doors were open. The dude tried to crawl out and then the elevator dropped and decapitated like his legs from his torso. Yeah, a lot of time they'll they'll still drop. They're not going to drop. Look, look, they're not going to drop from 20 floors down to the ground because you have the, the brakes and the cables. They have multiple cables and each cable can hold the whole car. But during rescues and stuff, they can slip some. 
So if the, if you move and 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 they're telling you don't move, it can slip and cut your head off. <laughs> yeah. So you you know it. Listen to what they say, man. Last one. We just turn turn this entire show into elevator deaths. <laughs> elevator safety lessons. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This was in Kenner at Kenner Regional Medical Center, which has since been purchased by Auctioner. A 76 year old man on his way to surgery was killed when an elevator crushed him at Kenner Regional Medical Center. He was being moved on a gurney from the hospital's fourth floor to the second floor. As the attendant pulled the gurney from the elevator, the elevator car dropped several feet, pinning his legs between the roof of the car and the gurney. God damn. <laughs> and the hospital wouldn't say anything else, citing patient confidentiality laws. Really? That's convenient. <laughs> man, back, back on topic, though, man, what, what other types of life, um, life threatening, I guess, life or death situations have you been in where you more more than likely had a, a chance of dying versus living. I had a lot that people always assume that this disability, the PTSD I suffer from is from fire calls and it's not, I've been in a lot of fires and I've been killed in multiple. <laughs> I've, been killed. <laughs> I've been killed in multiple fires. <laughs> man, I almost spit my damn drink out, man. <laughs> yeah. I've been killed in multiple. fires. <laughs> I meant to say I have almost been killed in multiple fires, uh, but those don't really bother me that much. You know, people always say, oh, you firefighters or this and that. You can run into the fires and that's really not hard. They train you to the point where you don't even get bothered by it. I mean, I've had. uh, okay, I'll give you an example. I have a really big fear about ovens on self-clean. If anybody doesn't know what that means, when you put your oven on self-clean, it turns up really hot. I mean, 700, 800 degrees to pretty much burn away any residue or anything you have in there. That shit is well, dangerous. we ran a fire. Huh? That shit is dangerous, man. That self-cleaning shit is dangerous. Well, yeah, but the thing is, though, since it's in the oven, it's considered controlled, right? So we ran a call about an oven fire. We get there. The oven was on self-clean, and you can see the inside of it was, was well off. It was smoke everywhere. So I had on my face piece and my helmet and my hood, and, you know, that that, that protects you from flashes. So as I'm getting, I'm looking at the smoke, I'm looking at, in, I'm trying to see inside of the oven with the, through the little glass uh, clear door. So as I'm bending down, my coworker opens the oven and all I saw was orange. I heard it went whoosh. So it, my, you know, all I saw was orange and my helmet turned black. My, my goggles melted. My face piece was okay. So I remember looking at my coworker and I said, man, you know, damn. And they were like, oh my God, are you Okay. Because it must have looked worse from the outside than what, what I saw. Mm-hmm. But apparently um, the gear worked because I wasn't burned. But ever since that day, I have a real issue about self-clean. I'm like, nah, don't do no self-cleans. Go on in there and get you some grill cleaner, some, some you know, vinegar and or whatever you got to do. And don't turn that thing on self-clean because, uh, you know, I, seeing orange surround you, your whole face. I mean, it, it looks like you're in hell. Damn, man. I can I can only imagine. Luckily, I've I've never had any brushes with uh fire. Um, there there was an incident that I was in a fire fight. I, I guess that that kind of counts, huh? So yeah, that's that's a different type of uh, <laughs> that's hey, a different type of fire right there. Hey, you were a firefighter. You you get it. Now I was um, 
going to visit a, a friend in uh, Fort Washington, Maryland. And for those of you again, well, no, no, let's. I would change that. Say Eastover, because people hear Fort Washington, they may think of uh, nice houses. I would say Eastover because, <laughs> because Eastover is where it happened at. Eastover. For those of you from the D.C. area. I'm pretty sure you're familiar with PG County, and I'm sure you're familiar with over there by, I don't know if it's still there anymore, but Mike's Liquor Store. So, visiting a friend, I hadn't seen him in a while. He lived in a undesirable neighborhood, in a bad neighborhood. So, pull up, see him, and we just go walk into his neighborhood. And without a warning, without anything... There was a group of dudes at the end of the uh, at the end of the strip. It was a strip of apartments. My friend, who I hadn't seen in a long time, pulls out a gun and holds it next to my head and starts shooting towards these dudes at the end of the damn apartment complex. And all I heard, like the first shot, I don't know if anyone's ever heard a gunshot without ear protection out in the open with a gun probably about eight or nine inches from their head. Man, that shit is fucking deafening. After the first shot, I couldn't hear any more shots. I can feel them. You know, you get that feeling in your chest when there's a real loud noise. He had to have fired at least seven or eight shots. Now, at this point, I take off running. I have no clue what the fuck is going on. Like, one minute we're walking, the next minute, this dude's damn using me as a damn meat shield, pretty much, and shooting over my head. So I take off running. I go running. I think that was that a crown gas station right by Mike's liquor store. Uh, I think uh, it was either a crown or an Exxon. One of them. I go over there and I call. Some That's where we saw Mr. Pitiful. Remember? Uh, yeah. And I kept calling him Mr. Pitfall. Hey, man, Mr. Pitfall. Who the fuck is Mr. <laughs> Pitfall? Stupid ass jumper. Man, I run over there. I call someone to come get me. And it's like, yo, man, <sighs> There just there was just so much wrong with that situation. One, if you have beef with people in your neighborhood or anywhere that I'm unaware of, you need to let me know when I get there. Hey, I, I have problems with people in this neighborhood. I have beef with them. So at least I have a choice. I can say, man, fuck that. I want to be around here. And if you beefing with them, this your neighborhood. Nah, wasn't given a choice when we saw the group of dudes right there. Because, hey, man. You might you might want to bounce. You might want to leave. Nah, they didn't give a choice. And P, you know this person and you know how, especially in the late 90s, early 2000s, how erratic they were and how unpredictable they were. That's to say the least. Yeah, that's not some shit you want to be around, man. So I consider that life or death situation, too, because I, I still to this day can't tell you if that group was shooting back, if they scattered. I can't tell you anything other than there was a gun being held, probably. Like I said, eight or nine inches from the like right side of my head. And I actually had gunpowder like embedded in my face, like some residue from the muzzle embedded into my face. And that shit was on my face for like probably three or four days. You remember that? Yeah, I remember that. It was like that white colored. It was like white or bluish looking. It was like, yeah. And um, I remember that. And uh, that was jacked up. I was like, man, fuck that. And I'm pretty sure that was one of the last times you hung out with him um hell yeah i got a story another story uh we said a while ago how hypervigilance can be irrational and, and kind of make you do irrational things but it also can help you your experiences um i used to live near that same neighborhood in maryland 
I used to live off of uh damn, why am I forgetting the name of that street? Uh, That's Forest I can't Creek. Huh? I'm forgetting the name of that St. Barnabas Road. Right. I I no, not not in Forest Creek. This wasn't the Forest Creek one. This was <laughs> this is one of my other areas in Maryland I lived at. And um I was going to the seven eleven. I was meeting a couple friends. One of my friends had moved from Alexandria, Virginia down to Georgia some years before. Uh and he was in town and he brought one of our other friends that I grew up with. He lived in Alexandria, Virginia too. And they came to Maryland and I'd already been a veteran of Maryland of about seven years. So we're standing in the parking lot of this seven 11 near Rivertown in right next to a liquor store. Anybody from that area knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so we're standing there talking and suddenly some random bum comes out of the seven 11 mouthing off at us. And it's like three or four of us and one of him and it's dark out. He's mouthing off. So my friend, not the one that uh, came from Georgia, but my other friend from Alexandria, you know, he has a reputation. He doesn't take nothing. No, you know, he doesn't take shit off people. Right. So he starts mouthing off back. So I said, chill, man, chill. So he starts. He keeps mouthing off. This guy keeps looking at his mouthing off. His one of him, three, four of us. So he says, all right, I'll be back. So my friend said, yeah, yeah, fuck you. You ain't coming back. So the dude walks around the corner and it's dark out. So I looked at him. I said, hey, man, we might want to roll. He said, nah, man, fuck him. I ain't scared of him. I looked at him and said, hey, this ain't Alexandria. This is, you know, it's real out here. So uh, anybody that'll sit here and mouth off at four dudes, big dudes in the middle of a parking lot at night and say he be back, I'm not going to give him that chance to come back and give him that much trust. So we left. And thankfully, nobody got killed that night. So that was kind of a situation where being the hypervigilant one kind of paid off because no one else in that crew was thinking about the fact this man may be coming back with a gun. Right, man. There's a big difference, too. And I wish that a lot of these young young dudes out here would understand this because you even alluded to it in in a previous episode where you were like, uh, yeah, man, being the bigger man, walking away from the fight, man. Fuck that. That's some bitch ass shit to do. But as we got older, we realized that that's the smart thing to do. But going back to what you what you just said about the dude coming out mouthing off to four four niggas in the parking lot. Y'all don't have to be scared of someone to say, fuck that. It's not worth it. Let's get the fuck out of here. That that doesn't you don't have to be scared of someone to be safe. That that's just the bottom line. Just, but you know what, though? Ultimately, though, this whole sense of pride that so many people have, especially with youngins, you know, that shit got to go. Like, fuck that. If I know somebody coming back with a gun and I don't have anything or I don't want to die, I'll tell you, you goddamn right. I'm too scared to stay around. I'm going to sit here and say, I don't want to I don't want to look like no bitch like I'm scared of a nigga that's about to kill me. So I'm going to stand right here and die. Show everybody I'm not scared. Yeah. You know, that, that's that's ridiculous, man. But sadly, a lot of people think like that. And even we were guilty of it when we were young, I'm sure. But um, from other experiences we've had, too, though, I will say that we did also know when to let it go and fight another day. Yeah, that's a valuable skill, especially, you know, these youngins now who didn't grow up in this environment that we did when uh, we didn't have the Internet to to shelter us. So, um, yeah, tough you know, guys. Lose your pride, man. Tough guys behind screens, man. Like. Yeah. Now, now that you say that, we do have the same friend, same friend that I somehow ended up in the middle of a fucking shootout with. Um, this dude refused to run from people. Right now, again, saying it like that does sound like some bitch shit. Like, why are you running from people? But we were grossly outnumbered numerous times. You know what? I'd rather run 
and live to fight another day, catch catch someone by themselves or whatever. Nah, this dude, fuck that. I don't run. I don't run from no one. You know how many times he got jumped? Why y'all niggas leave me? Because, nigga, you ain't run. That's why we left you. <laughs> like, shit, I'm running. Fuck that. Y'all, I, I'm not going to let six, seven people pound on me. Like, I don't stand a fucking chance. So what am I proving by standing there? Oh, yeah. He has a lot of heart. He stood here and took the ass whooping. Fuck you. You're going to have to catch me to whoop my ass. Yeah, I say you got a lot of heart and not a lot of brain. <laughs> anybody that's reasonable, anybody that's reasonable should know better. It's self-preservation, man. I mean, it's one thing to have a fight response, but at certain points, you got to know when to, to say, you know what, when your gut is telling you something, that's when that, you know, all right, let me, let me go back to hypervigilance for a second. You, you got to learn if you suffer from it and, you know, with PTSD or whatever, you have to know how to control it as much as possible. Okay. Um, if you don't, it can consume you. So you have to know when is a rational time to actually listen and act on those hypervigilant thoughts or ignore them. Um, I'm going to give you a quick story again. I, my wife wanted to go see a comedy show here in Charlotte. This is early in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I don't do well in crowds, especially party scenes or shows and things like that. I just I, I don't do well there. I'm always thinking about somebody coming and shooting up the place. I'm always thinking about a fire killing everyone because fires in those clubs kill a lot of people. There was one in Rhode Island, I think, a few years back that killed, I think, 100 people or something like that. So I was on edge the whole time. You know, I couldn't even enjoy the night. It was just a regular small little comedy show. Uh, I think it was Margaret Cho, the comedian Margaret Cho. And I really, really couldn't enjoy it because the whole time I was so agitated thinking if something's going to pop off. Mm -hmm. And I... Nothing happened and it, it could have been a good fun night, but that was a night when um, I was irrational in my hypervigilance looking for something to happen almost. And I couldn't even enjoy my wife said I was visibly rigid and she thought that I was just mad that I had to go. No, I was just paranoid the whole night based off the of experience I've had from calls in establishments or friends that had gotten killed in establishments at shows at you know, go go. So, um. You got to know when to pay attention to that hypervigilance and when to just kind of try your best to not let it ruin um, an, an, an event or or something that you're doing. Yeah, man, I, I've been in that situation my damn self multiple times. The same and it's the same thing. Um, and I, I don't even try to make it a secret, but yeah, I, I'm visibly not not in the present, uh, I guess is a good way to put it. And it is also it is also kind of like your wife said, hey, you you just look mad that you have to be here. You look mad. like I don't have time to be mad because, again, part of part of being hypervigilant is you are constantly scanning, 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 scanning. Like it, it, it I guess a, a good way to put it is like a gazelle going to get something to drink. Right. Or a deer or some shit bending his head down to eat. Do you know how many times? If they just hear some leaves rustling or something, their heads jump up and they start looking around like, hold up, hold up. Niggas trying to run up on me. But that like it's like that times 10. Your head's always on the swivel. You're always identifying people. And then what you do is I don't know if you do this, Pete, and it's probably not a good thing to do. But you know what? I look at everything that I do and everything that I've done as. Having kept me alive this long, especially, again, coming from the environments that we come from. But 
I'll start making up backstories about people that have that. I, I don't even know these people, but they each have backstories in my head because I've been watching them for so long. It's like, all right. Yeah, this nigga over here, he a bitch. He just mad because, you know, his girl probably fucking somebody else and he feels the need to kind of assert himself on these other women. Like I, I start making shit up in my head as I'm scanning the room because that helps me identify you better as the night goes on. So as the night goes on, it's like that same dude. I just made up this story about whose girl's fucking somebody else. I see him somewhere else on another side of an establishment or an event or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that nigga who's bitch fucking somebody else. Yeah, he ain't really that much of a threat. But by assigning people <laughs> these backstories that are 100 percent made up, it, it, it helps me identify who's who and who to watch out for. Because if someone seems alarming to me that, yo, their backstory is that nigga just got out of jail or he's trying. He's about to uh, be um, initiated into a gang and he needs to uh, shoot somebody in here. And it sounds fucking crazy. And I ain't gonna lie. It is fucking crazy doing that shit. But it, it just helps me identify people. But my head's always on the swivel, always looking. And again, I lock on to certain people. I don't know if you've ever played um those video games where you can mark your targets and you see the little red joints moving all around the screen. That's how that's how I do, man. I, I, I mark certain people and I keep my eyes on them and just constantly scanning, scanning, scanning. Well, everything you just said is it goes back to when we started naming the symptoms of hypervigilance. And uh, you named a few symptoms that are prominent in hypervigilance and PTSD and paranoia, uh, you know, with the increased fear, or anxiety, a persistent worrying, uh, you know, the faulty interpretation of innocuous remarks reacting in a hostile manner consistent with self-defense. You stated fast twitch reactions such as being jumpy when confronted with a, quote, threat. Um, something else that was. You know, it stood out in what you just said is how you mock people, make up uh, stories or make up a backstory or a scenario, um, a, a symptom of a mental symptom of hypervigilance that goes along with paranoia is extreme rational rationalizations of illogical behavior. So I, I would kind of say that going and making up backstories, making up uh, making up truths to yourself to justify the extreme defensive posture you take. I think that would kind of go into that. uh extreme rationalization of illogical action yeah even if you didn't take physical physically violent actions you started to take defensive steps defensive measures and i'm pretty sure if you're like me those defensive measures come with a wide range of uh plans meaning okay if i'd have to do this where's my exit is it any cameras all right uh make sure i you know put something over my hand so i don't leave no fingerprints if i gotta kill them uh, I don't know if you think like that, but mine actually goes that far too. You know, okay. Uh, when I, I might have to run away instead of take my car because I don't want the license plate. And by that time you didn't wasted 45 minutes thinking about that. And the threat didn't passed a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, man. So let me, let me ask you this, right? I'm a, I, I know, you know, like I said, we, we both kind of do some of the same things and I'm sure some things we do, um, notably different what what precautions before it's let's say bedtime and i you know quote bedtime you know you got a family in the house what what precautions do you take prior to getting comfortable to go to sleep at night 
Well, one, I never plan on going to sleep. I just hope I fall asleep. I stay on the couch. Um, everything has a reason. I know my wife gets irritated with me sometimes, but you live in the South now, Dan. I live in the South now. I know you live in a violent area. Charlotte's getting more violent. But it, the funny thing about Charlotte is people still underestimate uh, and overtrust. People down here don't like to lock their doors. Where we're from, you lock your goddamn door. Um, I got to make sure the doors are locked. I don't trust the kids. I go back and check every door. I push every door closed. Make sure it's all locked. Um, I make sure the balcony light is on. Um, I make sure that I have the TV on. I make sure I close the back curtain on the back door so no one can even see a little bit on the inside. I make sure I pull the curtains over the blinds so no one can kind of look in through the corner of the blinds and see inside. Um, I make sure every door in this house is closed because in the fire department, you are taught that um, keep your doors closed at night because it stops the fire, stops the speed of fire spread substantially. So if you have a fire in one room of your house or in an open area, if your doors closed, that thing could put off fire and in, in, coming into your room for, you know, quite a while. So I'm always worried about doors closed. I'm always worried about uh, the furnace and, this, and, and the gas and the CO, the carbon monoxide, making sure that. Okay, make sure this door is closed so no one dies from carbon monoxide poisoning. Uh, you know, I'm I'm on the couch making sure that if someone comes in, I'm always right there and ready to go. I have a central location between two doors. Um, you know, I have a lot. Every single night I'm doing things. I hear noises. Um, you know, I, I just I have a lot of different things that I do just before I lay down to watch TV at night. And it's like that every single night. Oh, one more thing. I always have to close the blinds a certain way because I feel like people can look in. And you close I think them that's kind of a symptom up. of where we grew up. Huh? You close them. No, I, I like them going down. I used to like them going up, but I don't like them going up. I like them down. When you say down, you mean the, um, gosh, I, I never thought I had the blinds, the blinds facing, the, the blinds pointing down towards the floor as opposed to up to the ceiling. Damn, I, I do it. Wait, which way do I do? Yeah. I, matter of fact, no, I do down too with the, is so they're more flat, right? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. I feel like if you're trying to look in, the, the only thing you can see is down. Right. You know, you really can't see it straight ahead of you that much. So, I mean, where we came from, Dan, people get their stuff broken into all the time. Hell, and yeah. I'm going to make sure. It, oh, I also have weapons stashed at certain locations in the house at strategic locations. My wife knows where they are. I know where they are. So, uh, <laughs> you know, lights, be, uh, certain lights being left on versus some that aren't. Man. It, it's just it's just a constant thing. That's something too. Um, I'm gonna answer the same question, which is being being that we're hyper vigilant people. What what precautions do I take before going to bed? That's something that I don't think Becky fully grasps. And it, it strategically leaving certain lights on. So I even look at some of my neighbors' houses. Right, my neighbors will turn their porch lights off. They'll turn their backyard lights off. You'll see all the lights. The house will be pitch black. Nah, man, that's not cool. I leave my front porch light on. I leave my carport light on. I leave there's a light in between my house and we have a detached pool house. I leave that light on. Then there's a light out back of the pool house, like a patio light. I leave that light on. And then I have other motion uh, sensing lights all around the house. And that's one thing I, I don't think Becky fully grasps. Part of the reason why I do that, I'll leave the inside of the house dark. But the reason I leave the exterior lights on is, OK, I understand 
what a lot of people are thinking. If you're inside and you're going to sleep, what good is lights outside? One, if it's at an unreasonable hour and there's someone lurking around the house, perhaps there's a neighbor that's awake who happens to see this. Perhaps someone's driving by and they see someone looking suspicious outside of my house, right? That's the first thing. The second thing is shadows. Being hyper alert, being hyper alert and hyper vigilant, you're you're very sensitive to subtle movements. Like I can see things long before anybody else sees them. Like uh, out back in there's like this canal type of area and we have what are called Norway rats and they're roof rats. Basically, they stay up high. They move so fast that all you will ever see is a blur for the most part. I see them all the time. And then I'll I'll say, hey, you see that? Hey, you see that? And this is one thing that really pisses me off is when I say to somebody and it's usually Becky. Did you see that? Did you see that? No. See what? Over there. There's uh, either something moving around or this happened like a shooting star. I see those all the time. Did, did, did you see the shooting star? No, I didn't. She sees nothing, but I see every single little movement. So going back to the lights being on the exterior lights, a lot of the times shadows, I can see shadows because the lights are on the outside. The lights inside are off. So someone's outside of a door, outside of a window. Now, mind you, I have cameras all around the house. It covers every angle of the exterior of my house and some cameras interior. But I'd still like to be alerted by a shadow because who's always looking at their cameras? So that that's why I leave my exterior lights on for to for someone else to see what's going on outside and for myself to see shadows, because like P and I both, we we don't sleep much and we're up at times of the night that people wouldn't expect someone to be up. So I like to get a drop on someone if they're trying to break in. Well, I never understood that bothers me too around here. When people leave their don't don't leave their porch lights on. It pisses me off when the porch light is off. I, it has to be on. Like you said, people lurking. You know, I'm pretty sure I don't have these numbers on hand, but I'm pretty sure that someone is less likely to break into your house if they see that you have your light on outside because they'll choose an easier target. Why choose a target if there are five houses around you with no lights on and it's pitch black, but yours is on? Why would they choose yours over those others? Right. So, I, you know, it's just a lot of little safety mechanisms you could put in place. And of course, some things are more uh, rational than others. But at the same time, I, I guess I rationalize my hypervigilance is it's better to be prepared than unprepared. Yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent, man. Um, as, as we're talking about that, I'm starting to look now because I don't know what professionals say. I'm, I'm pulling up. I'm on NPR's website now. And. There's an article here. You're about to go to bed. You flip off the light switch. It's pitch dark. As you stumble through the living room, you glance at your neighbor's house where light is peeking through the windows. You stop in your tracks and wonder, would a burglar choose to break into your dark house or into your neighbor's brightly lit house? Scoring through online forums will give you two contradictory answers. Leave your lights on and burglars will think someone's home. Or turn your lights off, then burglars won't be able to see what they're doing. Then 
they also say if you keep your lights on at night, you will stick out. Stick out because I can afford eight dollars to keep my lights on. Does that mean I have more valuable items? But this, yeah, I think they're stretching with that one. Yeah, I, they they put that in quotes, so I think they're being um kind of facetious with that one. But uh, some studies have shown that less crimes occur along well-lit streets. That's, I think, common sense. Motion motion detecting lights are also intended to add a layer of security. And having security lights, as it turns out, only marginally is effective unless it comes with specific strategies. In the end, most effective home burglary deterrent may just be a good relationship with your neighbors. Ah, fuck those guys. <laughs> that article seemed like a fucking waste. Yeah, I, I I thought I was gonna get something good out of it, but nah. Um I mean look, they said marginal increase in safety. Well shit, isn't that what you want? I mean any isn't any increase better than I mean would you want something that's a marginal decrease in safety? <laughs> <laughs> I only lock one lock instead of both of them because fuck it, it's only marginal. Like, it's only marginal. <laughs> yeah, man. So, all right. Um, moving, moving to the next question, right? <laughs> Hold on, I'm sorry. I just started thinking about what I said again a little while ago, and I was like, I died, I died in many fires, <laughs> <laughs> and I keep on coming back. Uh, and i'm back (laughs) i come back real black (laughs) man all right um here we go so what are what are this is keeping it with the same line of question and what are the precautions you take or what do you do um when you hear unexpected loud noises around the house what what is your initial reaction First, I try to identify, okay, what could it have been? Then I get real quiet. Then if I hear it again, then I'll explore. But I, I'm, it's not like the movies, okay, when people hear noise and they, hey, what is it? What are you doing? Get out of here. I don't do that. I get one of my weapons that's in my strategic location. And I, and I, and here's the thing about, okay, Dan, I forgot to say this earlier. Every house that I've ever lived in, every apartment, I know every floor, soft spot, every noise spot on the floor. So... My kids always get caught doing stuff because I can walk through the house, whisper quiet. You can't hear a damn thing. I know where every creak in the floor is on the steps and everything. So I creep around the house really quiet with no lights on. I don't want lights. I feel like in a dark room in my house, I have the advantage because I don't like lights anyway. I typically walk around the house dark when I'm awake um, out besides the TV and the strategically lit uh, lights. I know exactly how many steps. Um, And once again, you know, I was a firefighter. You get trained to operate with no vision. So I kind of, I navigate pitch black environments very well. So I I start to kind of creep around the house and see if I can hear it again. Determine if it's somebody in the house. Um, Thankfully, it's never been anyone inside the house. But um, I investigate, you know, slowly, quietly, but surely I, I, I investigate and make sure that it's not actually anyone in this house. And if it is somebody in the house, they're not getting upstairs where my family is. Man. That I I do the same thing. Like that, I think that's one of my special powers too. Is maneuvering very quietly, right? And I remember I would do that shit at my grandmother's house, old ass house with creaky ass uh plywood floors upstairs. I knew exactly which spot you would step on, and it would go, man. 
sometimes I'd be looking like a fool walking up the stairs because I'd be walking on the most outer part of the stairs. So <laughs> I do that too. Man. Even in broad daylight. Hell, hell yeah, man. <laughs> Cause it'd be quiet, man. And I I've crept up on a lot of people doing a lot of shit that way, man. But yeah, I move quietly too. And I, it, it's almost like I've been training my whole life to do that. And it sounds kind of foolish, <laughs> but I've been training my whole life for this. My whole life to walk around quiet, my nigga. <laughs> like, <laughs> but um all those years of practice have paid off. <laughs> I look at it like this. If somebody is in my house, like P just said, I can creep up on them and I know the terrain. You're you're at a disadvantage if you're in my house. I know this house like the back of my hand. I know how to maneuver and I know how to do so quietly. So, yeah, yeah, I can. Man, I I do that myself. Now, here's one for you, though. Um, I'm going to answer the same question, which is. If I hear a noise, what do I do? A loud noise or even a noise that that remotely sound like it's coming, sounds like it's coming from inside or near the house. First thing I'll do is and this happens at least no bullshit, y'all. This happens at least a couple times a day, a couple times a night. We'll be sitting on the couch watching TV, watching something. I might be on the computer, laptop or iPad or whatever, doing something. And all of a sudden I stop moving, period. I stop. I don't move. And I look up and I'm just kind of staring off into space because I'm using my ears and I'm trying to find out which direction the sound came from. And then I'm running that sound that I just heard against the the many uh, different sounds that I have in my memory bank, like, this, oh, it could be this, it could be this, it, like, like P said, trying to identify it. Then I'll look over at Becky, especially if it was a sudden noise. What was that? And I, I'd like to see if maybe she could give me an answer. Maybe she knows something that I don't. Um, she'll most of the time say, what was what? And then I get angry and I'm, I'll put the TV on mute or pause or whatever. I'll set everything down and I'll sit up in a position to where I could jump up uh, pretty quickly. And I'll just listen and keep listening and keep listening. Because in my experience, if you hear one loud sound or one sound that's unexpected in, in or around your house, you will hear that same sound again shortly thereafter. So once I identify where the sound comes from. If I feel like it's dangerous, I'll grab one of my guns. I have multiple um, guns and rifles in this house. So I'll grab one and then I'll start going to explore. Usually it's nothing. We have a shower. We have a shower rod that uh, falls often. We need to get a better one, too. But um, it's one of those spring loaded ones. And when it falls, it falls into the tub and it's way on the other side of the house. All you hear is boom, boom, boom. It sounds like, man, that was scared the shit out of me. Man, you know how many times I busted into the master bedroom with my gun drawn and a flashlight in the other hand? <laughs> like, man, and she just be laying there sleeping in the bed or maybe the sound just barely woke her. And she's just kind of like, eh. and I'm like, what was that? And I got my gun out. And it's funny. Matter of fact, let me let me hold on. Let me grab her right quick because I'm about to get her. Uh. About to get her to. Okay, here she comes. So we were just talking about what I do when I hear sounds in the house and the like a loud, sudden, unexpected noise. Right. Q, 
can you describe, let's say we're sitting out on the couch watching TV. Can you describe to the people what my reaction is and what you see? To immediately stop what you're doing and focus on finding the source of that noise. You, you get up and you will look in the windows. You will open the doors. You will check cameras. Um, and until you find the source of the noise, you um, are basically in a panic mode type search and destroy <laughs> um, situation. So that's how you react. Okay, now can you also, for the people, can you kind of just off the top of your head, how many times have you seen me walking around the house with a handgun drawn? I would say four that I can think of off the top of my head. Is it a normal sight, I guess, to see me walking? Does it alarm you to see me walking around our home with a loaded pistol in my hand? No. So at no point are you alarmed? Most of the time, no. Um, yeah, no. Mm-mm. Do you think in a normal household that one of the occupants walking around, even after hearing a loud noise, or maybe it's a noise that only that occupant heard without communicating to anyone, grabs a handgun and is just randomly walking around? In a normal household, yes, that is odd. So... The first time you ever saw me walking around the house with a gun because I heard or saw something, the very first time, did that alarm you? A little, but, um, yeah, a little. It did. Because I knew that you were in a different environment and you you being paranoid was a little understandable. But um, it did alarm me, but I wasn't super, you know, concerned. Do you feel, oh, say what's up to P, too. He's he's here. Hi, Paul. Hey, Becky. <laughs> okay, uh, two more questions for you, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, do you feel safe? Let's say I'm, I'm home and there is a loud noise that maybe would even indicate that someone's trying to enter our home, right? Do you feel safe with me walking around or being here with or without a firearm? I feel safe, yes. Why? Because I've seen you react to things, and I know that um, you would probably um, not hurt me, <laughs> or, and you would probably prevent anything from, you know, trying... Uh, you know, happening to me. Um, so, yeah. Because I'm a protector, damn it. I protect people. But, um, and the, the very last question is, I, w- I was explaining to our listeners and to P that I get very angry and upset when, do have you noticed that I can detect motion, things moving a lot sooner than anybody else? Yes. Okay. Do you know that when I say, did you see that or did you hear that? And you or anybody else says, no, I get pissed off. No, I didn't know that. (laughs) Because I feel like no one else is paying attention. I'm like, 
am I the only one that's paying attention? We thank we thank you for your service, ma'am. That was Afro Be- Becky, ladies and gentlemen. Bye. Thank you. All right, P. I I I don't think she was feeling this tonight. <laughs> <laughs> man yeah it does piss me off and no one else hears things does, does that piss you off man um not really because my my wife is hyper alert like me before i moved here the neighbors got their back door kicked in and got thrown in the closet at gunpoint while everything got taken so um she's a little uh <laughs> alert to a lot of the noises going around like i am so I don't really have that that situation happen here. When typically when I hear something, she hears something too. Lucky motherfucker, man, you lucky because I'm sure you can at least imagine how how maddening that shit is. Where you notice every little sound, every little movement, and you're the only one. Yeah, because sometimes you depend on somebody else to hear it to kind of help you find it yeah. or identify that source. Hell yeah, man. Um. So anyway, yeah, I guess to to sum all of that up is. That's what I do when I hear loud noises. First, I pause, I wait, and if I hear it again, I'll grab a weapon and investigate. So, P, let me ask you this. When, all right, you you kind of refer to your neighborhood, right? When you see somebody in your neighborhood, or even if you're not in your neighborhood, say you're at your parents' house, say you're even at a hotel, you know, vacation, in which I know you don't do. But um, you see somebody that strikes you as being suspicious or up to no good. They might not be up to no good, but they they appear that way to you. What do you do? How do you react? Well, everybody is suspicious to me. I mean, I didn't lived in some shady places, right? So, <laughs> so I'm just as an adult, I didn't lived in Forest Creek, Potomac Heights. You know, I, I didn't lived down in Woodbridge where all these weirdos are that I don't trust and. You know, living in Charlotte, I I didn't it, I still don't really know how what makes people tick down here. And frankly, everybody I see down here is shady. Everybody in my neighborhood is shady. The funny thing about me is um, I've lived in pretty much predominantly black areas my whole life. Right. So I actually think the people who everyone else wouldn't think is suspicious is, is suspicious. For example, if I see a white a white person walking through the neighborhood, they are suspicious to me. Like, what what the hell are they doing around here? Are they trying to sell something? Because we have a lot of solicitors around here, right? So I always wonder when people knock on my door trying to sell something, are they real or are they just knocking on my door to scope to scope the joint out? And because people do that. So a lot of the time, um, from my experience, especially in a fire department, running calls with police officers too and assaults and stuff, a lot in barricades, a lot of the time it's the people who don't quite quote fit the description and if we're black we know what it means when people say fit the description Mm -hmm. if you know a lot of the time the people who don't quote fit the description are the ones that are committing the crimes because nobody is going to commit a crime that's going to have written all over their face hey i'm about to commit a crime so typically i kind of find suspicious activity in uh things that most people would probably look at and just not even think twice about yeah for me, answering answering the same question is uh, if I see somebody that strikes me as suspicious, whether it be in my neighborhood or at my mama's house or anywhere, if someone looks out of place to me, I watch them. And I'm going to use, again, being at home, what I do is, much like if I hear a sound, I grab my pistol. I'm 
it I'm, I'm surprised Becky only said four because it is very regular for me to be walking around the house with a pistol in my hand that's cocked and loaded. No safety. But uh, I'll watch them. So if there's someone out in front of the house, I want to watch them without them seeing me. And that's always been my thing. I want to see you, but I don't want you to see me. So I will find somewhere or some way, whether it's using one of my surveillance cameras, whether it's looking through an, a window that you can't really see through or going to another part of the house. I'm going to watch you and I'm going to have a gun in my hand while I'm watching you, because if you strike me as suspicious, I'm thinking worst case, you're here to rob, kill and rape me or something. You know what I'm saying? Like worst case scenarios. So I'm going to watch you until you disappear. Now, will I call the cops on you? Probably not. Unless you're doing something that's uh, detrimental to the safety of me, my family or even my neighbors. But for the most part, I'm going to just watch you see what you do and hope I don't have to kill you. Uh, I, I, I use that same philosophy when I hear noises at night outside. We got neighbors. We got a guy across the street who's always drunk, screaming at two, three, four in the morning. And um, I do call the cops on this dude because I want them to lock him up and. <laughs> funny story uh this guy's a, he's a latino guy and he's always screaming at night all night screaming and hollering and acting a fool so i always turn off the lights and i look off the blinds to see him and he can't see me hold on right fast and after a while you know I come, is, that, is huh? right fast is him being latino uh pertinent information to this story yeah it is actually <laughs> he's a he's a latino guy and i look out the window and i hear him screaming and hollering and there was a couple of times when I said something, and he didn't shut up. Then he starts saying crazy, threatening things. So I'll call the cops. So the thing about this story that was funny was I was t- I sent Dan Dan a video a few months ago, maybe about a year ago, uh, that showed uh, the Charlotte police officers they had actually shot and killed an unarmed. I uh, want I think he was an unarmed Mexican man. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, I sent <laughs> I sent Dan this video, and this is. Only a couple of weeks after I told him about when I called the cops on this dude and I'm getting tired of him and I hope they'll lock him up or beat his ass or something. So Dan asked me, hey, man, that ain't your neighbor, is it? Did you get your neighbor killed by the police? And, um, you know, I, I kind of wouldn't be mad. I guess that's kind of fucked up to say, but I'm like, hey, cops, can y'all come kill this man across the street? He's making too much noise. Man, I, you know. And we talked about that uh, two episodes ago, like wishing harmful things on the people because they make us anxious. And again, worst case scenario is like, man, you know, you'd hate to wish death onto somebody, but I'm not going to sit here and lie like I don't do it. I know you're not supposed to and you shouldn't. But you know what? I look at it like this, like with P's neighbor. Okay, if he's becoming a nuisance to the neighborhood and the police won't do anything about it, the neighbor won't do anything about it. You know what? If he's dead, it's easier for everyone because now you ain't got to worry about him. (laughs) I look at it like this. I don't get enough sleep and God damn it, you went after my sleep so you can die. (laughs) Man. Okay, so the next question is, right? When you're going to an event, kind of like you said, with the Margaret Margaret Cho uh, comedy uh event thing let's say you're unfamiliar with the people that are going to be there and the surroundings let's say you're going to a family reunion with your wife and you don't know any of her family none of the people that's going to be there what what type of precautions do you take what 
to, like walk me through your where you're at mentally and how you prepare for something like this. Well, I can't really answer that question because I've always avoided that situation. <laughs> um, I'm really good at avoiding being in places that I don't belong in. Um, Wait, why wouldn't you? I will, why wouldn't I guess, you belong at your wife's family reunion? There are lots of reasons. <laughs> Man, I'm um, gonna make you sound like a jackass <laughs> with my line of questioning. Not well. <laughs> Because I, I, I'm not really, uh, I don't know the words to say. I'm not um, exactly sociable. <laughs> so um, I kind of weird people out when I talk. I bring up brains all the time. Like I said earlier in the show, you know, I, I don't really know what to say. And I used to, all right, when I was, I'm, I lift weights a lot. I'm not as G.I. Joe cut defined superhero Spider-Man as I used to be a few years ago, but I'm still in shape. I used to wear almost exclusively tank top and shorts everywhere I went. Didn't matter. New people's house, being around my wife's family, didn't matter. And that kind of, I, as I got older and a few years later, you know, I kind of look back on it and say, you know, that's kind of weird. You know, I wouldn't really talk to this guy. He shows up at my house. I don't know him. And he has, he's at a restaurant. He has on tank top and Nike shorts. And he's that strong. The hell's wrong with this dude? Yeah. So I guess kind of making people uncomfortable on accident. Right. Kind of helps <laughs> kind of helps you create like a force field around yourself. Maybe that was my subconscious way, I don't know, but I, I can say that I look back on certain pictures and I'm like, "Damn, I I went there looking like that." Man, I I remember that when you was wearing nothing but wife beaters everywhere, man. But what's funny is that's the guy, the the big motherfucking muscle head ass nigga with a wife beater and some Nike shorts on at church. Like, that's a nigga that we would talk to. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I would. I-, I-, I say, what's up? And probably ask him to take up the gifts <laughs> uh, for communion. And so the whole church will see him. <laughs> Man, I- I- we- we've always had some very interesting people that we we knew or talked to that most people probably wouldn't give a second thought about, man. But, um, shit. We've become those people now that other people look at and say, hey, let me go fuck with those two weirdos. You ain't lying, man. All right. So I'm going to answer the same question, which is um, when going to an event where I'm unfamiliar with the people or the surroundings, how do I prepare? Okay, I guess you guys probably are going to guess this one. I make sure I have my gun with me (laughs) like, uh. I have my gun either I'm a concealed weapon. I, I have a permit to carry the concealed carry a concealed weapon so I can have a gun on me at any time in probably 32 states. I think it is. And no one no one knows, but uh, I'll make sure I have a gun with me. Most of the time I'll leave it in my truck unless it, it looks like a when I get to the area that I'm unfamiliar with looks a little sketchy. Uh, if it's an event or something like that, the first thing I'm doing is I want to find out how many people are going to be there. I like to get to places late. Most people like to get to places early to scope it out. I like to get there late because I want everyone to be in place. I want everyone to be doing what it is they're going to be doing when I get there. So I can kind of it gives you a better feel of the environment. So let's say a movie, for instance, you see a long line of people waiting to get into a movie, people walking to get snacks and shit. That doesn't tell me what's going to happen inside the movie theater. So I I like to get to things late. 
So people will already be carrying on doing whatever it is they're doing. And then I can see them doing what it is they're going to be doing. So I walk into a movie theater. People are usually already seated. They got their snacks and doing whatever. That way I know it's a little bit of reassurance. Like this is what people are going to do here. If it's something that I'm uncomfortable with, I leave. I just turn around and leave. Fuck it. I don't want to be here. Time to go. I might have to shoot somebody. <laughs> but um, that yeah, that's how I prepare for stuff like that. And I always plan my exits. I always plan on protecting the people that I'm with and uh, making sure they get out safely. And uh, another thing I look forward to and is children like that. That's something else that I'm real big on is making sure children are safe. So if there's like some kind of altercation or something, you, you want to make sure the people you came with and any children in the area are safe. And th- those are my number one things. And that's like how I live my life is making sure I'm safe, making sure the people with me are safe, making sure those around who can't defend or protect themselves are safe. Hey, I don't know, man. Some kids can protect themselves pretty good, man. You see that little boy that beat the shit out of Cat Williams? <laughs> that nigga didn't protect himself. He assaulted somebody. <laughs> motherfucker, <laughs> motherfucker beat the shit out of Cat Williams. I would have protected Cat Williams. Like, hey, hey, man, get off that nigga, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the fuck was Cat Williams doing? What was he arguing with them about? Nothing. He was playing. He was playing soccer with them little badass niggas, man. And you know what? Fuck fuck them little niggas, man. Because like for real, straight up, right? He rolled up. He was riding around. He saw some kids playing soccer. So him being Cat Williams, a motherfucker that these little badass ghetto ass kids would never have an opportunity to see up close or interact with that, you know, that's not an event or something. He gets out and goes and plays soccer with the kids. So he's running up and down the field and one of the little kids keeps talking shit to him. Like, yeah, fuck you, man. Yeah, it's just talking all kinds of shit. So after the game was over, Cat Williams went over and sat down. He was tired, winded. He's a smoker. And I I mean, I hate to say he was high, but I think he was high, too. I think he was high. And he's sitting down and the little kid is standing over him still talking shit. So he did something and Cat Williams told him, hey, man. You do that shit again, I'm going to punch you in the face. Cat Williams wasn't lying when he said that. The little dude did that shit again, tried to test him. Cat Williams uh punched him in the face and then ended up in a figure four neck lock or some shit. So Cat Williams stole a little boy off the top. Yeah, and he had every right to. Man, if you've seen the whole video, he had every right to. And I don't blame him. But again, and he and something he said that was some real shit is, this why niggas don't come to the hood. This why niggas celebrities don't come down here and fuck with y'all because of shit like this. He was down there with no bodyguards. He was down there with nobody. He was by himself trying to play soccer with these little niggas, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, how cool is that? Or how how often would you see a celebrity come back without a camera crew, without bodyguards to to kick it with y'all asses? And y'all y'all want to talk shit to the man and, and provoke him to fight? Like, come on, man. Yes. <laughs> Somebody had a camera and that little boy, he has a lifelong uh, claim to fame now. Yeah, I beat up Cat Williams, man. Fuck that little nigga. You know what? That's probably <laughs> that's that's going to be the highlight of his life. The nigga going to end up working at McDonald's or some shit, man. And, you know, it's like that dude that knocked out Suge Knight. Remember him? He knocked out Suge Knight. Then he was on a whole bunch of little bullshit uh, hood DVDs doing interviews about how he knocked out old fat ass, blind ass Suge Knight. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, nigga, this is the highlight of your life, man. And that's that's what's funny, too. To all these people out here getting bullied, even though we're not talking about bullying today. And I'm pretty sure we don't have a younger audience. But if we do and you are getting (laughs) bullied, just know that especially in high school, this is the highlight. This is these people are peaking in high school. This is the best it's going to get for them. For you, it can get better. You know what I'm saying? You you more than likely are going to be one of the guys sitting at your desk when you're an adult and see this jackass's resume or poorly, poorly written job, job application and cover letter come across your desk. And you can say, you know what? I'm going to entertain him and interview him just so he sees my face, then call him and tell him why he didn't get the job. Or then I'm a, or I'm a hire his ass and then fire him on his first day. Like, see, the 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 real power comes. <laughs> hire him and sexually harass him. <laughs> like, hey man, uh, after you're done sweeping those floors over there, I want you to come over here and let me grab your cock. <laughs> <laughs> Broom in one hand, cock in the other. Man. <laughs> Seriously, man. Like these motherfuckers peak, man. Look look at all these motherfuckers, even the Bamas that we hung out with, man. Like they peaked in 10th, 11th grade. That was the prime of their life. Like, look at, you know... You know, you give a nigga an interview, and they bring their resume, and then they give you their demo with it. <laughs> it's like, the fuck I'm supposed to do with this? You think I'm going to listen to this? Yeah. You look at his resume. Okay, so I see here you were born in 1980. You graduated from a GED program at uh, Lorton Jail. Um, and what w- what is this? It's a link. Okay, what's this link to? My SoundCloud mixtape, nigga. <laughs> get the fuck out my face man so seriously man have you noticed that too man Cause I, I know we rapping the show but uh have you noticed that that um a lot of the people who were bullies and all flashy and look at me in high school that that was the prime of their life that was their peak and it's been nothing but downhill and turmoil for them since then yeah a lot of them ugly now ain't got no teeth uh they ain't fly no more because mom ain't buying any clothes. Uh-huh. They, uh, you know, they fat. They on all kinds of drugs or whatever, and they can't drive. They ain't got no license, no money for a car. And I, I call that bootleg. Everything bootleg. Like, damn, man, you've been a grown-up for 17 years now. By grown-up, I mean 20. And you still ain't figured this shit out? You still don't know how to keep your car insurance active? Damn. Man, that should be sad, man. All right, so last question on the list here. And, you know, again, just kind of to top off the conversation about being hypervigilant. If you're out with your family, your kids, say you're at a soccer game or, you know, anywhere. I know you you went to track meets a lot, football games, and you see somebody that's causing a ruckus, acting really erratic, being loud, talking shit, yelling, cursing and you know, nobody's doing anything about this. There's no police around to do anything. There's no security. Or, what, what do you do then? What do you do in that position? Well, if he's nowhere near me or anybody that's a threat to me, I'm just like, well, that nigga over there tripping. Um, but if he's not messing with nobody, just kind of being erratic and abrasive, just being a dick. Um, all right. Let me, I'll give you an example. All right. I don't care if some of these people listen. I'm going to use some of those black Hebrew Israelite dudes for an example. Stand on the street, just yelling at people, starting stuff, trying to provoke people. You know, I just look at them and say, look at these losers, right? 
Um, but if it's somebody that's actually getting violent now with people and I see somebody is in a position where they can't defend themselves then I'd have to go help them out. Yeah. I grab dude and say, Hey man, you tripping, calm down or, you know, see if there's any, any other interventions I can do because, um, let's face it. There's a phenomenon where people think that somebody else is always going to help. And that's how people end up getting shot in these mass shootings. So, um, if it's somebody that needs help, obviously, you know, you, you try to intervene, whether it be trying to defuse a situation, call authorities or go knock a nigga out yourself. But if they're nowhere near me, my family, or they're not a threat to anyone, they're just acting kind of simple. I just leave, leave them alone and hope they just kind of trail off, trail off in a way by themselves. All right. I'm going to answer the same question, which is if I'm out in public, say me, Becky, and maybe my mama and we're. I don't know, we're watching some sort of a sporting event or something like that. And there's somebody that's acting erratic, yelling, you know, just carrying on hostile. First thing I'm going to do is if they're not around me or not directly by me, I'm going to get up and I'm going to tell Becky and my mama, come on, we leaving. We getting out of here. We're going to find the closest exit. Get out of there and then call the police call the security whatever when i'm at a safe distance from this person right now a lot of people may say oh that's some coward shit to do no i'm responsible for my safety first and then the safety of those people that are with me i'm not responsible for the safety of all these other spectators parents or you know whatever they may be they're responsible for their own safety and if they can't see this nigga tripping and maybe they should get up and leave because we, we've been in situations a lot throughout our lives where there are certain indicators that let you know something is about to go down or something has the potential of going down. And again, being on high alert all the time, I'm not going to let it get to that point to where you look up and there's a big brawl in some stands at, or bleachers or something. And, you know, you got to fight your way out of there. No, it's time to go now. Let's go. Let's get the fuck out of here. Because it's just not worth it. And I'm I'm sorry, I'm not one for addressing shit or addressing people for other people. If they're being belligerent towards other people, you know what? That ain't none of my business. And unless it's a woman. Well, well, and, and let me the real quick, you kind of when, when I when I said if it's somebody that's if they're th- being threatened towards another person, I'm not talking about if they're yelling at some 25 year old dude's face. I'm talking about if it's like an old person a handicapped person, somebody that obviously, obviously is not in any position to defend themselves. That's that, that that's what I meant. But if it's just some other people, it's like, what's stopping you from getting out of this situation? Mm-hmm. I'm not helping you. Yeah. Exactly, man. Fuck that. Like, I, I don't help anybody. The only old people, yeah. But still, my first thing is getting Becky and my mama out of there if that's who I'm out there with. Y'all need to get out of here. If I'm not back at the car in five minutes, wait longer but it's like man yeah i that that's how i deal with any any type of thing man i remember that i don't know if you remember that that homecoming basketball game where dude from the projects came up there real drunk looking to fight anybody from my neighborhood like nah, yeah, where y'all from where you from where you from like hey man all right we're gonna stand outside now because this nigga tripping came up to me hey man where you from you from delray Nah, man. All right. And then he just started dapping people up. Like, man, I don't know what the fuck wrong with this nigga, but fuck that. I ain't dealing with this crazy shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure he's not 
a successful husband and live in a single family home now. <laughs> that nigga live in a multi family dwelling in his grandmother's basement with his cousins. <laughs> Man. <laughs> All right. So story time, right? Man, we're going to go back to remember that time. So I wasn't here for this one, but I want you to tell the listeners about <laughs> about the time that you knocked on your neighbor's door, threw a tennis ball in his face and threatened to beat his ass to get to his son. <laughs> Fuck that little boy. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, people think you a sucker when you're nice. Uh, my son was, I think, 11 or 10 at the time. And the neighbor was like 15 or 16. And my daughter told me that the neighbor had attacked my son. My son has a habit of hitting people without thinking about what to do next. So the dude had done something to my son. My son went up to him and hit him. And then the dude took a tennis ball, tackled my son and hit him with the tennis ball. Like I call it point blank throwing range and uh, and left. My son got the tennis ball. So I came home. I had the tennis ball in my hand. I'm sitting on the porch with my daughter, with my son and with my wife. And um, I saw the little boy walking up the street with one of his friends. And I said, is that him? He's the neighbor. And all these look, I'm, not, I'm about to sound like an old racist dude. All these little niggas look the same. <laughs> right. All got that stupid looking hair, stupid looking <laughs> blonde crap in their hair you know what i'm yeah, talking odell about odell beckham shit so, um yeah so i saw him and i asked my daughter i said is that him she said yeah and then she said next thing she knows she looked up and i was already in their yard i swear to god i jumped out the chair and flew i don't think my feet touched the ground right <laughs> it's about 30 feet <laughs> so i said hey man let me talk to you right quick and i really just plan on telling him he need to stop hitting on little kids so um he said what 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 and then he goes and opens the door while i'm talking and looked at me, gave me this dirty look. I said, man, you need to listen for a second. So he goes about to go in the house. And obviously he didn't want to listen. So I took the tennis ball that he hit my son with. And I threw it in his house. <laughs> and it, I could have put a hole in the wall. I don't know. And that's when my daughter jumped up, said, uh-oh, time to go. So so she jumped over there. I get in this shouting mattress, little boy. He's standing in the doorway yelling, talking about it. Whoop my old ass. And I said, won't you come on out here then? You're beating on a little boy. So his dad comes out. Dad, a fat, he's a fat, chunky guy security guard looked like a a, a damn uh rollo you know and uh, just soft and brown and he comes out <laughs> mouthing off and so um you know he said hey next time you got an issue with my son you 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 go through me first so i pointed at him i said okay fine first i'm gonna go through you then i'm gonna go through him and i pointed at his son <laughs> so then you have your, i was ready to fight then you have your finger like directly in in like his face when you said that yeah, right right in his face. And he kind of backed up then. And then my wife, she was pregnant at the time. She jumped up, ran over there. My daughter jumped up, ran over there. Um, his whole family came outside. So it was me, my daughter, my son, and my wife all yelling and cussing him out. So every time I turn around, one of my other family members is up in their face. So I grab my daughter, pull her back. And then I turn around, my wife is up there. So I grab my wife, pull her back. And I look around, and my daughter's back up there. It's like whack-a-mole. <laughs> so, so this asshole looks at me and says, look, look at your family. Look at your wife. Look at your daughter. Look how they acting. So I said, fuck you. I'm proud. That's how, that's, how, uh, that's how I taught him how to act. And I was proud. And I looked at him and said, I'm proud. I have a habit of saying strange things in altercations. So um, he kind of didn't know what to say at that point. And he said something like, you better get off my property. So I said, fuck you. Is that a threat? So I, I know how to handle myself in, in legal situations. I walked just beyond the property line, which is only a couple feet away, and stood on my property and said, what now? And this dude actually looked at me and said, man, you know, I guess he realized that I was ready to die. I've said that phrase before. And he went in the house. And um, 
it was it was just a great situation, man. I, I was proud. I was proud of my heavily pregnant wife. I was proud of my daughter. I was proud of my my son. You know, we we showed him what was up, man. And uh, <laughs> what ended up happening was I was I'm still friends with the with the father next door. Damn. And um, he's an older man. The other guy moved out. His son moved out. And um, you know, they badasses is gone, and I'm happy. I don't have to deal with that bullshit anymore. Oh, so you're not friends with the father whose ass you was about to be? No, no, no. All right. We became okay. I would speak politely, but it was always still a thing where it was like, nah, I don't fuck with y'all. The older man, he, he, I was always cool with him. And I, I got the feeling that he didn't necessarily like, um, the young boy and, um, his, I guess, daughter and son, because they were, they had a little attitude problem. They never listened. They were disrespectful. So I was always cool with, with, with him. And thankfully the others are gone and I don't have to deal with that anymore because I have a history of cussing out neighbors and threatening them on my property and tell them don't come back again. Man, that shit was funny as shit, man. When you when you hit me up, man, yeah, man. Yeah, they had the door open, so I threw the I fucking beamed the tennis ball into their house. I'm just trying to picture <laughs> this shit. A grown ass man, a fifteen year old boy, <laughs> you beaming a tennis ball at him and this shit flying into his I house. I threw that ball hard man you know when you young and you get a rock in your hand and you put your finger on the back of it when you about to throw a real uh-huh. hard that's what i did with that tennis ball i know how to throw a fastball i took my two fingers on that thing and i and, and i put my thumb underneath of it and i let it roll off my finger just it flicked it right on in there I, man if that thing would have hit him he dodged luckily he was a quick little dude he dodged uh and got out of the way of that tennis ball but i think that noise is what made his father come downstairs because he heard it and probably wondered what the <laughs> hell was going on my daughter said, once I saw daddy throw a tennis ball, I knew it was over. Because, you know, I, I have those outbursts from time to time. Man, there's some of them Mike Tyson joints, man. But, so let me ask you this, too, um, before we before we uh, end the show. The rest of that night, right, after you did that, the rest of the night, were you up watching and waiting to see if this family retaliated? No, the funny part was this. Um, it was a whole lot of, the whole neighborhood came outside. It was funny because... I never saw all these people in my life, right? So um, at that point, I had learned that that boy was on probation for something else, right? And I was worried that somebody was going to call the police on us. So I said, you know what? Fuck that. I told my wife, I said, call the police, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because that's when you start to get in your think mode, <laughs> self-preservation mode. So we called them. I was like, fuck it. I'm going to get that little nigga locked up. I don't care. That's how I roll as a grown-up, right? I don't care no more. As a grown-up, I'm like, oh, okay, you want to play games with me? All right, well, since I can't whoop your ass, I'm going to get your ass locked mm-hmm. up. And I don't care. You can say that's some sucker all you want. Nope. Somebody hit your son and he's 15 and you want to beat his ass up? I'm not going to jail for beating up a 15-year-old. So um, it was part of my strategy because I assumed that they was going to call the cops. And they was going to say that I threw a tennis ball first in their house and I was going to end up being in trouble. So uh, they came. And I know the cops down here don't do anything. So... um. You know, he was like, hey, I talked to him. What you guys want to do? You you want to talk? The neighbor said he doesn't want to talk. I said, nah, let's talk. So I made him come back outside and talk to me in my face and say sorry to me <laughs> and apologize on behalf of his son. And he apologized on behalf of his son and was embarrassed as all hell. And ever since that day, they never had any more problems. Yeah. So I, I threatened him, threw a tennis ball at him, put my finger in his face, said I'll whoop his ass and fuck him up. Uh, Then got the cops to come out here make, to protect myself. And made him say sorry. So let me just tell all you, we talked about pride earlier. Let me tell all you young prideful motherfuckers, you young prideful niggas, let me tell y'all something. Self-preservation. Sometimes you got to play the smart game as opposed to the, uh, 
I'm going to whoop his ass and ask questions later. Yeah. Because people will call the cops on you. So you got to figure out a way to get ahead of that stuff sometimes. Man, I can tell you like this, too. You can't really buy much with pride on your books in prison. There's a lot of uh, motherfuckers who have a whole lot of pride stockpiled in prison. But what you going to do with it now? Yeah. And that pride in prison don't get you nowhere because it's somebody better. Somebody else got more pride. <laughs> And then what? Might get f- I don't got time to get locked up for no 15 year old little boy yeah. or his uh, or his uh, uh, milk dud looking daddy. <laughs> you look like a sweet, soft snack, motherfucker. <laughs> man, I was going to whoop his fat ass, man. I was like, what you think you I, I think I said to him, what you think you hard because you security guard, nigga. I was security guard, too. It's You know, it's just. I don't I don't know look when you're light-skinned and you're small people think that you're a punk you know I'm not saying small like I'm a little guy I'm 6'1 and you know I was 154 I was strong um people think for some reason that oh fuck him you know he a punk well I box and I like big people thinking they tough because a a boxer can whoop a big fat out of shape dude's ass and that's all I was waiting for I was like please 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 give me a chance to whoop his ass for free man (laughs) for free (laughs) they got a free pass free ass whooping so you know everybody out here know what a free ass whooping mean like please let me whoop his ass for free (laughs) so that that wraps up this episode um just to kind of recap uh, we explained what being hyper vigilant is some of the symptoms, um, behavioral symptoms, physical symptoms, emotional symptoms, uh, some of the causes such as PTSD, anxiety disorder, schizophrenia, um, and those, you know, fall in line with the mental health aspect of the show. We talked about some uh, life or death or, or dangerous situations that we've been in personally that kind of... um affected us uh traumatic let me say traumatic um experiences we've had that affected us and causes us to look at things that some of you may seem as normal as threatening or traumatic things and we we tend to avoid them such as elevators balconies motorcycles tornadoes uh things like that i mean you know unless you've experienced some of this shit firsthand And I said this maybe an episode or two ago is each person processes trauma differently. So if I was on that falling elevator, the way I processed it is I don't get on elevators any longer because of that. You might have been on a falling elevator and said, "Okay, that was just a fluke. It was a one off thing. You know, no harm, no foul. And you still get on elevators. Each person processes things differently. Uh, we also discussed, um, well, we kind of did a Q and a, uh, what would you do in this situation? How do you prepare for certain, certain things? Uh, how do you react to certain things? Um, just to kind of show what, what hypervigilance looks like, uh, as far as we're concerned, at least. And we also talked about P throwing a tennis ball into his neighbor's house and threatening to whoop the father and the son's ass and then being proud of his family for coming over there ready to get in a family feud. <laughs> so And then calling the cops on them. Yeah, and making them say sorry. I'm sorry you threw a tennis ball <laughs> in my house. 
Like, man. <laughs> so anyway, hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you walk away learning something or or better understanding something, maybe even yourself. I can be followed on Twitter and IG at I am Dan on Drugs. And you can also catch me uh, every Tuesday on Black Law and Legal Lies, which is at Black Law Podcast across the board. And I am P in Charlotte, and you can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Screws Loose Pod. Yeah. Peace out, people. Peace.